You're very welcome to the Locker Room podcast from dailysportscience.com. We had such a good response last week about breaking into the industry and how to get work in professional football for young sports scientists and SNC coaches. We decided to release this as a standalone episode, as a bonus track uh, later in the week as well. So a lot of people really responded very well and wanted to see more of this. And as a standalone, it's a half an hour long. And I think it's really good for people working both working in the industry and also graduates who are looking to break in as well. And also myself, Ross and Ben, we cover a lot of interesting topics along the way anyway for anybody who's either a coach, a sports scientist or an SNC coach. So take a listen to this. Remember to subscribe to all the podcasts. If you can, go over to YouTube as well and subscribe there to see the videos of every podcast episode. And obviously, of course, go on to the website, dailysportscience.com. We're running a special offer for SNC coaches and sports scientists. All you need to do is go on and use the voucher code FOOTBALLSS, all capital letters, that's FOOTBALLSS, as in sports science, and you'll get a great discount there on membership and have a look at that. Okay, have a listen to the episode. We're speaking about a really important topic now, just for the next few minutes of the podcast and, and YouTube video, just about breaking into the industry. And I think it's a hot topic at the moment because there's so many, it's like the perfect storm. You've got a lot of graduates who want to get into the football industry. You've got universities and colleges churning out graduate after graduate every year. You've got football clubs who are looking to cut down on costs and, and the running costs of, of paying their staff and everything like that. Um, but you still have people who are mad to get into the industry. Ross, it kind of brings around the question then of, is it worth it? Is it worth actually doing, going through this whole process to try and get a full-time job in a professional football club? Interesting question, Giz, and uh, something that I've uh, deliberated a lot about in the last few years, seeing the amount of people that want to get into this saturated market now uh, because, of, because of, you know, essentially people that are really passionate about this industry and this job. It's, um, it's a fantastic job to be in, you know, there's unsocial hours, there's, there's not always glamour, it's not always rock and roll, uh, but it's, if you're really passionate about sport, then obviously that's where you want to be and you want to go to, to work and enjoy it. And an honest question, if I would go into this market, if I'm starting a degree tomorrow or, or applying tomorrow, would I apply for sports science and SNC in this crowded market? I'm not sure. I'd definitely go into do some sort of performance, some sort of management, some sort of leadership role. Ultimately, that's, that's what I like doing and like developing teams. Would it be in a, in a football SNC sports science department? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Now, I love my job. I go to work every day and I, it's not work for me. It's a passion. I work with great people. I'm in a great environment. But my honest answer is, is it worth it right now? I'm not sure. It's really interesting because you're saying that and you've worked with Chelsea Football Club, QPR, Aspire Academy in Qatar, you know, world-renowned academy all over the world. And, and yet that is your answer of some uncertainty there about whether you would take the same path or not so that's quite interesting because for people who are then really starting out who will have to go through a long process of doing internships getting experience investing a lot of money 
uh, it may not be the right path. And so for you, Rossi, is that, is that a money thing? Is that a wage thing? Is it, you know, you enjoy high performance and maybe you could simply apply that into business instead if, if you had the chance again? What, what is it? I think it's, it's a realism thing about how far you're going to be able to go in a certain industry. And I think that I've been very fortunate in my career to have a few breaks and, and to get where I am today. And I'm very proud of where I am. Um, and, and I love developing people. I love developing myself and, and being passionate. But I think you look at lots of different other industries and you look in town. We're, we've got London on our doorstep where we live and the business industry. Lots of high thrive thriving companies that you could slot similar principles into it and, and develop teams and, to, and to, to, to grow different businesses. So I think it's a realism of where you can go. Um, and of course, financial thing has to come into it as well. I mean, everyone's looking to, to live a comfortable life. It doesn't have to be hugely rich and, and luxurious, but you know, the financial side comes into that. So it, it's just a poison question. I don't think a lot of people say out. And I think it's, it's good to be honest. Yeah, and it's interesting because... If you, if you think about it now to, to break into the industry and to get that chance, and I, I feel very lucky to have come into QPR initially as an internship and then you work hard and you, you get a full-time role. But a person to make it now in a football club coming out, they're going to have to be really dedicated. They're going to have to be smart. They're going to have to be talented, going to have to put in the hours. They're going to have to have the qualifications, uh, academic qualifications, but also the accreditations. And Ross, it's it asks a lot, doesn't it, in this in this industry to actually break it, break into it. Yeah, ask a lot of time of people and a lot of like money before you've even got into a paid role. And like the good thing for people in my position now is that you have like so many willing people wanting to come into certain roles that you can essentially handpick the best ones. And um, and the th I know there's a big talk about internships and the UKCA have come out and they've said that it's not right that unpaid internships happen. They need to be remunerated at the right level and they've set minimum guidelines. But I'm sorry, it's not us you should be talking to. We're getting kind of guidelines off the CEO of the club, off what finances we have to offer. We, we have very limited um, control over the company's finances so they can put out stuff all they want but you know that is part and parcel of industries where clubs have limited resources because we want to improve services there's people willing to come in and at, at the right time of their career do it for expenses only or for good experience to hopefully get them get them a good job and 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 a good example is is ben obviously coming into in our department this year who's gone from internship to, to a paid role so it, it is successful for the right person yeah, it's interesting because, as you say from the outset, that we're not running down the industry. We're not running down the positions because we go to work every day and you don't feel like you're, it's a job or, or it's, it's work. You're turning up, you get to go out on the pitch with young players. It's about development, about performance. And there's so many good things happening in clubs nowadays. It feels brilliant. It feels very lucky to work in an area that's all of our passion. So... There's a lot of really good things happening also, of course, but I think it's good to be truthful about some of the challenges. With, with all that in mind, Ross, I'm just wondering, how did Ben end up in this role? How did he get in that then? What, what, did he fall through the, 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 the floorboards or, or slip through the cracks or what happened? I have to be honest because, I, like I said, I'm trying to be as truthful as I can to people. Ben came <laughs> in and, you know, listen, if the right person comes along and you value that person and the club will 
you know, find the way of, of trying to keep good people, especially if someone wants to progress a department. And we've had interns in the past that have done internships and like the end of the season gone on to other stuff. But, you know, we essentially, Ben went from an intern in the same season to a, like, to, to a paid role. So, you know, that's credit where credit's due. And maybe Ben will want to give a bit more insight into his journey there and, and how he got into, into the role. Like the whole unpaid internship thing is obviously an interesting topic. Like I'm a believer, I think it's uh, Mike Boyle that's talked about it. And if you're if you're an undergrad and you can't add value to a company, and you're trying to learn and and extract knowledge off that person, then why would you be paid for that? It I think you could argue that right. So you need to pick the correct timings to do that unpaid internship. So throughout my three years of uni, I did for three to four internships, all unpaid. Off the back of one, I started getting some paid work. And again, that's just from doing a good job, et cetera. But I'd go down to a football club, um, work at a pub to pay for my train fare down to a football club. Um, and I felt I was lucky enough for them to bring me into the football club because they didn't have to do that. Um, so I think, especially at university, undergrads need to be advised to, while you have your student loan, et cetera, and you have, performance teams there some some high level performance teams and athletes at your disposal they need to be advised to go out and actually exploit that opportunity and and work for free and build your craft because you can't go into a club after your after your undergrad and expect to be hired when you like you can't take a warm-up with 20 people uh, people like i know students that after their undergrad can't take a well-structured warm-up for 10 minutes um, I think those are the things you need to repetitively do throughout your undergrad to give yourself a better chance because everyone has an undergrad, right? And the accreditation is obviously other, that's another part of the parcel, but I think it's, as I've written for a piece for Kieran, it's that, it's that practical experience, that hands-on, getting your hands dirty coaching that's going to stand you in good stead. Yeah, I listened to a really good podcast a few days ago, Ross, actually, on that by the Football Fitness Federation, where, which, which, is, which is a great organization, they go and interview, um, isn't it Mick Clegg, who was the first kind of SNC power coach that went into Manchester United first team squad, and he was dealing with David Beckham and Roy Keane, and you know, in the, in the latter years, then Cristiano Ronaldo and Rooney and everything like that. And, and it's fascinating. And he was saying that because he worked in schools right all over Manchester initially, and he was making the really good point that. If you're doing a degree in sports science or SNC in order to work for Manchester United first team or Chelsea first team, you're in it for the wrong reason. They said that you need to be able to go in and coach a classroom of kids and young kids to, you know, to do whatever sport or activity or fitness or whatever it is and enjoy that and love it, but also be good at it. And I think in my own experience, I started off working with kids of all ages, like all the way down to age four and five in, in you know, the, the smallest classrooms in primary school. And in ways, that's the essence of coaching. That's the real coaching where you're teaching skills to really young kids because you have to break down everything so much. And that's where you build a passion and you develop coaching skills. Yeah, 100% kids. I think the best coaches have worked across different age groups. I don't think they've necessarily been in a rush to get to the glamour of the first team either. I think they've learned their craft for years and years. And like Benny said, invested in time um, early on in their career, in their, their undergrad, 
their masters or whatever education pathway they take but and through different accreditations but then got lots of experience of working with different age groups different sports maybe um or if you want to focus on one sport again up and down academy structures and had a real solid philosophy and coaching process before you kind of go into that that top end job um so that's kind of my thoughts on it anyway yeah i think there's there's a number of streams to it in my mind that obviously you get the coaching experience you, you must get the qualifications you know you need a degree or masters or whatever it is but also you need to network you need to contact people like i always say to people that if they're contacting me uh, and they're looking for internships or work experience don't stop after one email or one message make sure that you contact again and again and when you're contacting somebody in a club instead of telling them why it would be great for you to get a role in that club tell that person what you can actually add into that organization so why QPR or Chelsea need that person. So what you can add to the whole department and the football club and, and the other sporting, sporting organisations. They're, they're really important things, aren't they, I think? Yeah, and, and the only way now that we take on interns, really, we, we don't really need to advertise anymore. So we've, we've got people coming through on Twitter. Um, ben messaged me directly on his first thing on Twitter and just said, look, is there any opportunities? But for me, I reward that behaviour. That's great behaviour. So anyone who messes me like that's in with a chance of, of, of getting an interview and an internship. And I don't want to have to ask people to formally apply. If people want it quite badly then i think they'll be like you said active and then that networking um and trying to get in, into the industry i think you have to be diligent and determined as well don't you i, I like when somebody contacts me and uh, follows it up and also it's not a cut and paste job it's like a dedicated mail to you or message to you um and simple things about you know if they send over a cv that it looks good and there aren't like simple things like there aren't spelling mistakes and stuff like that. And you might think that's funny, but if you want to be a sports scientist in a, in a sporting club, then you have to be very diligent with data and, and details. Yeah. I mean that all that stuff goes, goes hand in hand and it's about having pride in your work. Um, especially when you're working with data and, and, and with players and presenting stuff, you want real detail and, and people have a good eye. So I think that stuff from the makes good impressions, um, and yeah and then you can back that up with hopefully meeting people in person and, and showing off your your character and personality yeah i think another thing to add sort of jumping on what you said is like i, I like the saying how you do one thing is how you do everything mm -hmm. so when you're an intern and you don't have the skills to maybe add value and you're the fly on the wall fill up the waters well fill up yeah. the protein shakes well and then yeah. when you get your first opportunity to coach do a good job fill out the spreadsheets correctly as you said make sure the cover letter is excellent um, always be polite, ask questions at the right time. Don't pepper people with questions when they're working. I think there's a, it goes a long way sort of having a right character around the environment because, go on. No, no, sorry, Ben. I was just going to say that I think that like you're right, be polite and and um, and be respectful, but always like respect that you know everyone has a good opinion, and you know I think the way the way that we work here, especially at QPR, like. It maybe took a couple of months maybe for you to come in and, and find the appropriate voice and the right time to say it yeah, but sure. I think always give people a voice and like Ben has added within nine months of his um, internship and job role here so much to our department and so much um, thought space and things to improve on and stuff for next season and, and way to develop and you know everyone can come in with fresh eyes so from from a, a leader's point of view or someone managing the, the department 
the interns sometimes have some some of the best ideas than some of your most experienced practitioners because they've been there doing the same thing for five six years your interns coming in with fresh eyes real academic up-to-date academic knowledge if they're good and diligent and you can really drive the department on yeah, yeah and when, when we ask our players to be diligent and um watch the detail and clean their boots properly and act really well around the club and everything. So obviously then as a staff, we expect that of ourselves and of each other, don't we? We, we expect that we're on time and do things well. But as you say, Ross, then you want people to come in and in the right manner, challenge things and bring new ideas and bring new aspects to it. And like, if you think of it, going through, for instance, the UK SCA accreditation, during your master's or right after it, it's kind of a, it's quite a good thing to do because it's fairly academic, it's very rigorous, and it can you can bring in new ideas and start challenging people in the club. Yeah, um, the UKCA obviously is a great platform and it gives people like I always say it gives people the minimum um, amount of knowledge and the, the standard expectation you want someone to come into a role with in terms of basic program principles, basic coaching points, and and development and delivery of sessions um might be good to get ben's like thoughts on the UKCA because i did mine about 10 years ago so it's evolved a little bit now um but just to get ben's thoughts on what his current experience is going through that is and then we can maybe link that back to the max speed stuff ben if that's all right yeah yeah for sure so um in terms of the UKCA i sort of knew it was a prerequisite so you need your degree you need your masters and you need your UKCA to sort of stop your cvs getting put in the next pile where you're not going to get an interview right so i started in uni sort of putting together my way of how i'm going to pass this assessment so it's comprised of four four components um the weightlifting i think the resources are out there to go and learn how to weightlift i taught myself how to weightlift um so i passed three of the four modules looking to pass my fourth one um well i would have without covid uh, getting in the way i think we've got the speed and agility pliers again the technical models are out there learn them and then it's about actually um practically applying that with with athletes yeah um you've then got your M multiple choice question do you have a good understanding of basic physiology and biomechanics and your case study can you program can you deliver a program to an athlete over a long period of time and that's the stuff in my opinion you can all do as an undergrad you can do the workshops and yes they're 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 expensive so i think i understand that some people can't do those but i think Overall, the assessment is achievable without them, in my opinion. Um, yeah, in the case study, it's about getting out there and, um, and coaching and, and programming and, and learning off mentors and what the best way to do things is. It's, it's, a good, it's a great journey. I think one of the problems or one of the issues that come out of the UK SEA is that they're, they're, quite, um, they're quite rigorous in that, well, this is the model that you must do and these are the important things technical model that you do on max speed or locomotive or whatever it is so ross when you bring then when you bring that into a club and into a practical and applied setting sometimes like those models don't always fit like we spoke about earlier that the most important thing is the technical practice and the football session and dealing with the coaches 
and they don't always fit into that applied setting. Yeah, I think it's a hard one for organisations like UKSCA because they have to set a minimum standard of knowledge and delivery and execution of certain coaching cues that, that someone has to present on that day. Um, but yeah, going into then, like your, your learning doesn't stop there. Just because you've got a UKCA accreditation doesn't mean you're a great S&C coach, sports scientist, because like your experience and actually like seeking alternative CPD and listening to some real good, like um, Ben mentioned, James Wilde is a fantastic um, resource for speed development. You've got Paul Caldbeck, um, who's doing some great stuff within contextual sprinting in football. I was very lucky to be at university being taught by John Goodwin, who for me is biomechanically one of the best I've ever seen and listened to. And I had him regularly week to week. So you've got all these other alternative um, CPD methods that you can go and sort but the biggest thing is is your experience and working with different players and what works and what doesn't so you know delivering certain sessions and technical sessions around speed I've questioned them I've questioned around a skips b skips on their transferability I like them from a scaffolding perspective of different shapes but their transfer when you can only do them like once or twice a week within a warm-up on how much repetition you can get them into and how much transfer that has into the sport may be something that, that is questioned and maybe something Ben has a bit more insight in as he's, he's the lead CPD researcher at the minute being on being on furlough. Yeah it's, it's really interesting that I remember just before we were we were finished up with with Covid or be due to Covid we, I, I was doing a little S&C session with the younger kids, I think maybe the 13-year-olds, and we were doing some marching and stuff like that. And one of the underage academy coaches, Akin Lord, who I'm sure is listening, listening, said to me, what are you doing, mate? I looked over and you're doing marching with the kids. And he said, I'm done with sports science. That's it. I'm finished. I'm finished. No more. <laughs> Obviously joking, but, you know, it, it, it's a point to always remember, isn't it, that the educating the coaches the reason why you do stuff is is so important Ben isn't it yeah yeah absolutely and I think um like with the UKCA I did the uh the speed plows is the one workshop I did and I did it a few years ago it's probably my first insight into what actually is max sprinting you know from what you've seen on the tv or whatever like the kinetics and kinematics that underpin all that but I think as Ross said you've got to go way beyond that so I've spent the last two years listening to our um Stuart McMillan, um, JB Morian, Tony Holler, uh, as I said, James Wilde, Jonas Adodu. Listen to these people because, in effect, they're the, they're the best at their craft and you're going to develop your ideas as you go. And again, stuff like you know drills and et cetera, that's a topic in itself. But you're, you're going to build your own philosophy around these things. And I think you should never be one end or the other end of the scale. Like most top coaches, I believe, have an appropriate opinion and, 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 and context and application of these, these methods. And, and Ben, here, sorry, just to jump in there on that point, that's probably where we bring slightly contrasting views to, to the party there, where, you know, a lot of those guys, I feel, have great technical knowledge from an athletic sense and, and their technical model and how they teach that's fantastic. But then the question is applying that into football. And I know people say, oh, well, you know, football people will say that. We always think it's a special sport. I'm not saying that, but it's slightly different. How do we then transfer those technical models? Are they transferable? And is it worth the time spent on those drills to actually improve the performance? They're the questions that maybe me and you have probably on a weekly basis, I would say. <laughs> Ross, you, you got the greatest education yeah. and CPD of all. You were in the same office as the great Martin Boucher. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I've just 
I'm, you know, I've just been on Twitter having a having a debate with the training ground guru around a, <laughs> an article that got released. But listen, Martin Boucher told me, don't worry about them protein shakes. Best thing I took from him, he said, a bit of cheese, a bit of bread and a bit of red wine. That's all you need after recovery of a session. <laughs> it's the French way and I like it the most. Hey, listen, the French sports scientists are tough. Don't worry about that. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy your food, enjoy your drink. Players need to as well at times. And yeah, good, great advice, I think. It, it, it's quite interesting because... As you, as you guys know, I've just started into the PhD uh, um, pathway. And it's funny because it used to be that in order to get into sport, you had to have a degree. Then it was a master's. Then it was a master's plus accreditations. Then it was multiple accreditations, bases like you have, Ross. Now it's nearly getting to the stage, well, well where's your PhD? Now, I'm not saying, obviously, applied people all need to have PhDs. And, and that's not the way forward, I don't think. But probably in a club, you will have somebody in the sports science department with a PhD eventually. And they can kind of have a look at the research, the innovation, checking the data, checking how you're using monitoring protocols and everything like that. And it's probably, it's probably a next step for a lot of people as well, isn't it? Yeah, things are ever evolving and, and all the time. Now, most people that go in and get a paid job, like... I think masters is probably a minimum requirement now. And that's not yeah. just me. I just think there's so many people doing a masters that if someone doesn't have a masters, they're probably they're probably not getting an interview based on the CV, which is which could be counter argued by their experience, and that might still get them into the door. But things are moving on, and again, it's the amount of money now that's being invested in these careers for again the opening question is for what return? You know, for yeah. a, a passionate job that we love to be in. Um, yeah. I guess it just depends on where you put your values and morals in your, in your work profession. Yeah, absolutely. I think the final point to mention is that having somebody like that, or in other words, really having people with different experiences coming from different sports, uh, coming from different universities, younger people in the department, slightly older, more experienced, it all leads in, Ross, to that kind of departmental environment, doesn't it? And you having the right kind of setup there of the multidisciplinary team and and getting the right people involved yeah first things first is you need to make sure your department is is a good innovative um proactive uh, department with with like you say lots of different types of personnel that can add different things to the party so experienced people people that have got good emerging knowledge people that are hungry people in different um, stages of their career but it's also about uh, creating a department that's forward thinking everyone has a voice there's a platform there to question anything and everything in the right way and I, and I hope people that work in that department actually believe that's what we do and that's what I say because it's one thing saying it and I've been through in a department where it hasn't been the case um so it's one thing saying it and one thing doing it and i think we do that quite well um but then you're right it's about making good relationships outside of your department and that's how essentially you're going to give the best service to the kids because you're working well with the coaches in your performance department the analysts kind of contribute to you and you're working well with those the nutritionist the psychologist the um the you know all the coaches the managers the senior management yeah very essential so learning how to have good relationships with different personnel is essential to success and, and high performance yeah brilliant okay i think we, we leave it on that point ross i think that's a really pertinent point and the most important thing to think about i think is the, the people and having good people involved and that's always the most important when it comes to high performance in anything okay guys we leave it at, at that for today 
um, really interesting chat. Thanks, Ben, for coming on for the first time. We'll get you on again, and I'm sure Ross will have you on. Just remember to any SNC or sports science people out there, whether you're in football or trying to break in, head over to the website, dailysportscience.com. Use the code FOOTBALLSS, all in capitals. So in other words, like football sports scientists. So FOOTBALLSS, all higher, uh, upper capitals. And you'll get a good chunk off subscription there. We put up loads of videos and blogs and lots of discussion. We have our WhatsApp group. We have loads of resources, locomotive stuff. Um, and we're building the, the site and the content all the time. Ross Bennett is head of performance with QPR Academy and with DSS. And Ben has come in as sports scientist. So, men, we've got a lot of good content up there now, don't we? Yeah, loads going up, Kiers, and hopefully we get Ben a bit more involved in, in DSS as well and get him duplicating some of his great work from QPR and, and, and giving good service to the members, but loads going up, loads throughout this period. Okay, brilliant. So remember, subscribe to the podcast, go over to the website, and we'll chat to you next week.